Enjoying the sun here in North Carolina this week. Um, and how about you, John? Is is week going well for you as well in California? You guys, I know we're still hunkering down, but are you at least getting decent weather for it? No, it's hot. It's this is this is the uh, the hardest part of the lockdown yet. Is is um, it's it's too hot to go outside very much of the time. So so you get out in the evenings and get out in the early mornings. Um, but beautiful, beautiful, and it is California. Um, <laughs> so what's, can't what's going about on California, with you? So. Um, no, you can't complain about California. With... Yeah, yeah. It, it's been a busy couple of weeks, you know, um, working on um, wrapping up the annual HR system survey. So I've been spending a lot of time doing um, our, the deep level data cleaning that we generally do at this point in time. So we are, you know, removing or, or sort of aggregating duplicates and, and removing data that just, you know, was not put in appropriately and, you know, making sure that, you know, people sort of knew what they were talking about. And so my eyes are a bit crossed from spreadsheet analysis. So I, I did take the day off yesterday, like I said, to, to move my son. And that was an experience because it, it was an, sort of a, a move-in that had no connection with people. Like, everything we did, even getting the keys and stuff, was, like, sort of dropless, faceless, you know, um, everything in the apartment had been pre-cleaned and pre, you know, sanitized, um, as you would expect. But there was all these extra special, you know, regulations and rules around what they could do and not do and where they could go because of COVID. Um so that was quite an experience um, to to sort of move someone across country and not really talk to another human being while you're doing it other than your family. Um, and then, um, so so I've been spending a lot of time focusing on, on getting my son settled for his, uh, probably mostly online, but the university here at least is, is going to require the kids to go to on campus a couple days a week. So we will see how that goes um, and how that um impacts um, COVID numbers here in North Carolina. Um, and I have been feverishly warning my child to wear his mask and make sure that he stays six feet apart from everyone. Well, hopefully he will listen, like everyone else is hoping their kids will listen. So it's, it's been a, a busy, busy week. But the news here in HR Tech, interesting news, but not a ton of it going on right now. We've got um, a lot of stuff about announcements of people changing um, new roles, uh, which is exciting and, and new stuff. We've got some interesting stuff going on um, with um, what's going on in, in the, I would say, that the, the privacy space, both um, bills that are being um, put forward as well as technology that's coming out now around the COVID work, um, and a lot of um, re-interesting, I think, uh, conversations about when you reopen your organization, what kind of tech could make a difference to this new future of work. So, so 
not busy, but interesting conversations. How about you? Any anything you know going on in your current work that's, that's worth having a conversation about? You know, I talked to a I talked to an interesting vendor who will remain nameless because um, I'm in a better mood than usual. Uh, yesterday, that does uh, video interviewing with AI, um, and and we talked for a while. It was a it was a very it was a surprising conversation to me. the The idea was that um, they bought a sixty thousand dollar natural language processing module, and they can use this inexpensive tool to analyze language patterns. And what they try to do is match their predictive elements to the historical performance of the recruiters in the company. So this is for high volume stuff and, and they can match what the recruiters have done in the past pretty closely. And so I said, well, what about the bias that introduces into the system? And he said, that's not our job. Our job is to match what they already do, um, and bias is their problem. And I thought to myself, well, that is, that's, that's kind of an extreme position, but, but maybe that's what tech vendors have to do is say, um, it's the client who's responsible for this stuff, and so we really don't know anything about it. And 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 so rather than everybody I've talked to about video interviewing has talked about bias and its reduction in one way or another, and this little company with its little cheap um, AI implementation mm-hmm. is making a clear pitch that says, hey, we can give you the data, but you're in charge of fixing your own problems. Um, and I'm still puzzled by it. I'm still puzzled by it. I can't imagine that you can get away with that, but I couldn't find an argument that said it was a flawed approach. I, I, I will have to say, I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's, it's the same argument we get with, you know, gun control or, you know, um, speeding issues or, I mean, any technology, right? There is a, a level of, well, it, it, you know, the technology is just giving you something. It's what you do with it, right? That is the, is the real, if you want to call it crime or the real action, right? Um, but boy, does that put um, the companies on the line in a way that they, are, are, I think, are, are really, um, unaware of in some cases, um, and I'm not sure. I, I think the reason that I that I that I that I would push back a lot on that is uh, unlike maybe other technology. And I, I actually have this conversation over the weekend. We were talking with a, a friend of mine, um, and he works at a, at a large um, technology company here in the local area. And we were talking about artificial intelligence. You know, the biggest issues you don't know what's inside those algorithms. You know. And, and and once the system starts sort of recalibrating itself, um, he said it's really hard to see how those decision matrices are being made, um, and that becomes the hard part. So it's so yes, you're giving me something, but I as the 
professional making a decision based on that information or I as a professional taking that data and doing something with it, I can't give a clear answer as to where it came from, right? And and isn't that really the, the bigger issue, right? Well, like you don't know where you're buying your food from kind of thing, right? So 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 at the heart of this, at the heart of this is a tough reality for buyers of intelligent tools. And the tough reality for buyers of intelligent tools is that no vendor is going to accept the liability for the bias that you cause or the bias that they cause. They simply aren't. They simply aren't. Their boards of directors wouldn't allow them to write contracts that had them accepting that liability. So when you use intelligent tools, the risk is all yours. Yeah. Right? This is the nature this is this is the thing that I've been talking about for years now that that you can't turn around and go after the vendor if you don't like the results in intelligent tools because the contracts will say you're responsible for your results, that the AI is just an input into decision making. And if you make the decision and it's a bad decision, it's your problem, not technology's problem. Um, And and I I think that, you know, there's, there's good principle behind that. If you're driving down the highway and your speedometer says 60 miles an hour and the cop clocks you at 90, you don't get a discount because your speedometer wasn't working right. Right. So, so exactly. the tools yeah. that you use <laughs> to measure your own performance don't have anything to do with the way the world perceives and reacts to your performance, and you can't expect to be protected from your own stupidity. Even if the AI has led you into it, you still can't expect to be protected from your own stupidity. Um, and uh, uh, and so that's what caught my attention on. about yeah. this. Sorry? I'm seeing John's John's T shirt now. You can't be protected from your own stupidity. <laughs> oh, oh, but that's no. that's what we need is an HR Tech Weekly merch shop. That's right. <laughs> wow, but that is a quote, very quotable quote. Um, yeah, I mean it's but yes, this is exactly it, right? That the the machine does not um absolve you from making a decision that is um, ethical, correct, or right, right? Um, and I think this is the, the reason why any kind of technology requires, and any kind of data set that you're using requires multiple um, bench analysis or, or, or multiple, you know, you know, we were talking about this the other day, like when you do compensation analysis, you would very rarely ever use just a single data point, right? At the very least, if you're doing a really major compensation analysis, you would use at least three data points to just see because not, you know, you're very aware that one might be out of whack, that there might be things that are biasing the compensation number in that one particular data set, right? And so you want to see other data sets. And I don't know that we don't, we don't get that conversation in these individual tools that we're going to show you different data sets. The conversation is our data set or our algorithm is the best, and you should use it. And it's really up to the businesses today to go out and find other data sets that might either validate or negate what those data sets are saying, correct? Yep. 
Yep, and so in the case of this veteran that I was talking to, it's not possible that they understand the problem that they're trying to solve. They haven't invested enough money to be smart about it. Um, yeah. And, right, because being smart about these topics requires making a lot of mistakes. And that that yeah. making a lot of mistakes is another word for R&D. Um, uh, that's that's what research and development is all about, is the concentrated making of mistakes. And on a tiny budget, implementing somebody else's algorithm without some sort of check on it, you can't do that. And so the the conversation with that vendor illuminated a bunch of things, like how important it is that when you acquire some sort of intelligent tools, you dig deeply into how they're constructed. Yeah. Because I saw this this great thing yesterday. There's a Black Hat Hackers Conference going on this week. And um, at the Black Hat Hackers Conference, um, um, a a 17-year-old kid talked about his hundred dollar project and with his hundred dollar project he was able to make a um a um, working version of tom hanks that looked and moved like tom hanks and said things like tom hanks and it was assembled from audio clips and uh still pictures um wow hundred bucks to fake tom hanks um and you know, you know, there were you you couldn't fake it on a movie. He couldn't fake it on a movie screen, but he could certainly fake it in a web delivery. And web, yeah. That's how good the the modular components that are available in open source or by vendors are. And if you don't have a clear understanding of what those components are. What is what is your new system built out of? Um, you set yourself up for being surprised by the fact that it produces evidence of your own incompetence or, or it introduces more incompetence into your system. That's, well, well, that's interesting. Gonna... What do you think? Yeah. What do you think about changing oh, up the word bias, changing the word bias to incompetence? Would that make that conversation easier? Well, I think it would make it. I think it would make it more. Um, it would. It would maybe get a, a better reaction as far as we need to take action, right? Because I think we say the word bias now, and everyone kind of thinks, "Oh, yeah, you know, I can't do anything about it. It's in everything we do, right? We know it's an issue, but." Right, it's always we know it's an issue, but um, I think if you say incompetence, yeah, that you need to take action against incompetence, right? It's it's not something that you can not change, right? Um, so yeah, that might actually change the dialogue a little bit because it really is, right? The the inability to sort of, um, and I think you really made a great statement in the fact that this is this is all about you know, understanding what's inside of this, but also realizing that, you know, you have to, to keep keep on top of it, keep changing it, keep looking at it, right? Yep. Yep. 
Well, I was just going to say, this is, this, we've got a lot of other things that are, I think are going to lead right into this conversation. There's a great conversation right now about language, natural language processing that I think it's exactly that same issue, as well as now we're running into beyond just making decisions about recruiting and hiring, we're adding biometric data to artificial intelligence analysis, and now we're making decisions about people's health, which puts a whole different level of um, concern, I guess I would say, to to this conversation. Have you started to even think about it beyond beyond this area? No, <laughs> I haven't even a little bit. Uh, what are you thinking? Well, I, I mean, some of the stuff that's coming up this week, you know, we've got a really interesting um, uh, stuff coming out from a company called Brainworks, um, which is launching um, a media smart health monitoring app, which is it's a free web app that uses AI-enhanced non-contact measurement of your vital signs. Basically, it's using facial recognition tools, facial sort of monitoring tools, digital health care um, and to basically give you a readout of whether or not you might have symptoms of COVID and, and some other things that are going on, right? Just based off of how many times you take a breath and how often your face is moving and takes. I was reading this and was fascinated. So what you're talking about when you talk about the idea of bias being built in, right? Mm-hmm. And now you lend that to this next level of conversation, which is um, whether or not someone in the organization could possibly um, be symptomatic for COVID or have other kind of health problems. And can you make decisions on that? Should you make decisions on that? What does that really look like, right? This gets really scary really fast, right? Well, you know, the, the, the job of HR is changing as we speak. And where the primary focus was a combination of talent management and acquisition and sort of benefits and compensation administration and some policing of conflict, there's this new thing. It's going to be inescapable that uh, HR departments are responsible for health, both of the organization and of the individuals in the organization. And, And there are all sorts of tools about it. So I was talking to a doctor yesterday. I have a a home um, uh, ox, oximeter that checks my blood oxygen levels, and I was telling I was telling her about my scores, and she said, "Oh, I wouldn't worry about that because that stuff the the home stuff is not calibrated very well." Uh, you know, so if you're generally in the range, it's generally right, but it isn't accurate. And so, so the question about these, what would have been seen as invasive monitoring devices in the office um, six months ago, is partly how do you know how accurate they are, right? And and again, this is this is that line where bias and competence are are um, related to each other. And uh, the bias in a given measurement device is also 
as easily understood as the calibration of the of the device. How accurate is it? And so we don't know, right? And nobody's nobody's testing this stuff for um, diversity related impact before they ship it to the marketplace. So I I don't know where I got this, but I'm pretty sure that generally speaking, men and women have different baseline body temperatures, for instance. And so so if the um, machine that takes your temperature from across the room doesn't account for uh, gender variation, uh, and, and I don't know what, what else the things are that, that cause temperature variation, but if it doesn't account for it, yeah. then it's going to introduce bias into the system. Yeah. Um, and and we've got an avalanche of stuff that um, um, measures, monitors, and reports on people coming in from from bathroom cleaning robots to uh, sensors that measure whether or not everybody in the office is six feet away from everybody else in the office. Yeah. I, there was a, you had shared the CB insights report, right? Which I think, and often does really good research on, on the tech enabled office in a post COVID world environment. And the things that are in this picture you know, autonomous cleaning solutions, spatial intelligence, people counting sensors, I mean, all the things you talk about, right, Tr cleaning of the bathrooms and monitoring the bathrooms in a way that's, I guess, appropriate. Wow, right? <laughs> I feel like we're in a whole different world, but they're here, and they're being used in a lot of organizations already. Yeah, it's crazy. And, uh, you know, just to, just to hone in on the bathroom question, this is the primary disease vector in the office. And so figuring out how to rearrange bathroom space so that it's safe, that you can do social distancing, um, is, I think, a massive problem that people have totally underrated. Because right now, right now bathroom design is how close can you get people together Without them making feel like making them feel like they're together, and the bathroom design of tomorrow is how do you make sure everybody is six feet apart and that all of the droplets in the air are managed? Um, very different problems, and so so my guess is we're going to see a lot of bathroom renovations go on in office buildings. And do you? I mean, do we have this conversation about who owns this this? information, right? And there's no doubt that um, this is oftentimes, if you have a, like an environmental engineer, or you have someone who is an office, you know, an office manager or a, a buildings manager, facilities manager, so these are the kind of things that they may be working on. But, you know, my take on this is that HR owns the use, the processes, they might own some of the purchasing, and they definitely own the continuous data that's being gathered and how it's being used, um, as well as the conversation around bias, and particularly do they own the conversation around bias in all of these types of technologies. Do you, do you disagree with that, or, or do you think that that is the case, that HR is going to own a big part of this? Well, 
you know, HR owns health and medicine in different ways in different industries. So, so if there's a doctor in the um, plant, and and in a lot of heavy industry in the north where it's possible to have your arm chopped off if you do the wrong thing, uh, there are doctors on the staff who have offices in the center of the uh, factory. Uh, and those people work for HR. The the health and fitness of people so that you can tell whether or not they're allowed to go on the shift, that's HR. Uh, it, just, it just hasn't been normal because, you know, what are the safety issues at Google? They're... they're um, whether or not you can tolerate the loud music the worker next to you is playing. Um, the, 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 there's not a ton of, of health and safety issues in high-tech companies, but in lots of other places, it's just normal for HR to own the health and safety thing. And so I think, I think this falls squarely in HR as well. All the way. Well, it'll be really interesting to see how we connect the dots between sort of the more practical keeping our work environment safe to the more, I think, theoretical but still really important conversation about how we address biases because oftentimes that is very much something that we talk about but don't do anything with and definitely how we think about ensuring that the data is being used ethically because those things are tightly connected, but I, I don't think that a lot of people are, are, are realizing how much they're going to be connected. Uh, you know, I, I want to make one note, you know, about um, some of the other things that are, that are going on this week. You know, these kind of conversations are really critical and our vendors are going to play a big role in who, you know, in how the organizations address these. I mean, as you mentioned, it was a vendor who kind of had this feeling like a not my job, right? I don't think the big vendors have that perspective. I think the big vendors are, are pretty clear that they have at least some responsibility in this area. And we had some pretty big announcements this week. Um, we had Gretchen Alarcon, who many of you people know, at, who um, has been really the leading voice for Oracle's um, HCM application and their HCM application products. She's been the group vice president there for and before that at PeopleSoft for over 15 plus years. She has just recently joined ServiceNow as the um, VP and general manager of the human resources service delivery business. Um, and really interesting to see that um, not only the shift in the market, but also the fact that ServiceNow, which has been more of a help desk tool and been more of a, a solution around sort of your enterprise user sort of interactions, right, um, and, and data capturing um, is continuing to step into the HR technology space um, as a central role uh, more and more um, over time. And, and we just saw this even as they um, changed over CEOs with Bill McDermott just recently. Um, at the same time, we also saw um, in new role, um, Jason Seiden uh, became Chief Marketing Officer of Movilla, a much smaller organization, but I think along the same lines, an organization that's trying to change how we rethink about HR and HR's role in the organization. John, I mean, do you think that in both cases, these, you know, leaders and they're really important leaders in, in our sort of 
industry in, in many cases, uh, you know, the kind of things they're going to have to deal with is the stuff that, that we've just been talking about for the last 20 minutes, right? That's right. That's that's part of it. The the role in both ServiceNow and Movila um, is is to increase the quality of the interaction between people who are doing work and get rid of the hassle. Uh, and uh, you know that that ten years ago you would never have thought that that was part of HR. Uh, and and it's not. In both cases, it's not entirely the HR game. Movila, Movila, Jason Seiden is going to be great in that job, but Movila um, allows better communication between the people who are involved on the task of the project. So it's a performance management alternative, but instead of getting scores so you can tell who gets a raise, the performance that they're concerned about is the performance of getting the project done correctly. And um, while ServiceNow serves HR functionality, it's, a, it's all about making the interaction between the individual employee and the organization smoother so that they can go back to work and get work done. Right? Yeah. The emphasis on service now is is quick answering of questions, right? Quick answering questions and capturing of the data of all the questions that are being answered. I think that, I think that the two things that ServiceNow has really sort of put a stake in the ground in is that, that yes, we, we will answer the questions so you can get back to work quickly and we will we will also be the, the tool that captures things so we can start to resolve the problems before they become questions, right? I think that's the other play they're making right now, that we are, we are a tool that will allow you to get ahead of what could be, you know, problems in your organization, which is, which is a very different take, but a very HR conversation, right? It is a very HR conversation. So I think what we're seeing, and, and COVID just accelerates this, what we're seeing is, a transformation of the HR department. And it is an extensive transformation of the HR department that simultaneously uh, pushes it into granular operational detail while um, uh, being the driver behind looking at the entire organization from a big picture data point of view. And and I don't think I don't think HR has experienced anything like this before. It's a big transformation. And we're just starting yeah. to see the edges of it. I would have to agree. I think this is probably the biggest shift for HR since the days when they, they stepped out of being a personnel department into being a you know, somewhat of the sort of strategic partner, right? I think this is the next generation of, of what HR will become, and it is much more encompassing. And and I think, you know, it's interesting, you know, that the quote that, um, you know, they gave on Gretchen sort of starting is, Gretchen's going to paint a bigger picture and help take the employee experience to the next level. And I think that's exactly what HR's role is much bigger than I think we've been, been sort of willing to sort of to have a conversation about. And because of that, um, it's going to be really interesting to see how the technology ensures that um, they do that. And if we can ensure that the technology is not, you know, um, 
stuck and mired in bias and, and diversity issues and algorithms that nobody can read, right? So, so it doesn't alleviate the problems. I think it's going to be interesting to see how this impacts your work with IRAM. I think that's going to be a fascinating edge because when, when you talk about what HR needs to do going forward, we can't even yet define what the skills are that you need to be part of that change, but they're going to be more technical than not. Um, and, and and that means that the role for the HR Technology Professional Association is going to grow over the next five years. I, I would agree with that. I mean, it, we, we just did an introduction to HR Technology, sort of six-part session that I did for IRAM. Uh, and we, one of the big things that came out of it was what were the skills that people were looking for going forward. And, and you would have smelled the job because one of the things that, that people were asking about after we did all of our, here's the things that you, you know, should do, what more skills would you like sessions on, how do, I, how do I review and understand algorithms, you know, as I'm making decisions on the HR technology. So they get it, yeah. The, the practitioners understand that these things are changing rapidly. Um, how we get them those skills, that's a whole other level of conversation. But, yeah, very true. Yep, yes, it is. Well, what a great conversation today, Stacey. And congratulations, Gretchen and Jason. Definitely for both thanks of Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for doing this again, Stacey. Another great conversation. And thanks, everybody, for listening in. This has been HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. We'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye Thanks, now. Thanks, everyone. Bye.